you indefinitely, he's coming back. That's the point. Remember that the Olivet Discourse was given by Jesus in answer to the disciples' questions as to when he would set up his kingdom. He gave them five signs to watch for that would indicate his return was near. These words are not for any believer alive today. These are future events that will happen after all believers are caught up in the rapture. It will be a very dangerous and difficult time for anyone who trusts Christ as Savior during the tribulation. Jesus gave these words to encourage those end-time believers. Welcome to Verse by Verse. This daily radio program comes to you from Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve Kreloff is continuing his study of Matthew 24. Today he will continue looking at the time of Christ's return and the unfolding events that will accompany that seven-year period also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. One question that has bothered many Christians is this. If Jesus is God, as the scriptures clearly teach, then how could he not know the time of his return? Pastor Steve will deal with this question in today's class. Open your Bible to Matthew 24, verse 32, as Steve comes to lead our class. Once again, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We want to continue what we began last week by looking at verses 32 through 41. So I want to read them to you. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he's near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. This morning, as we continue our study of the Olivet Discourse, we want to discover more about what Jesus said concerning his second coming, his return to earth. Now, as we stated, these particular words that we've just read address one specific issue concerning his return. They address the issue of the time of his return, when he will be coming back. And they were given by our Lord in response to a question that his disciples had put to him at the start of the chapter. In verse 3, we read, Tell us when all these things will happen, and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age. They actually asked two questions. They wanted to know the signs. What will be the sign that you give us that we know that you're you're going to come at, at that point. And so the Lord gives them not just one sign, but he gives them various signs that will take place during the seven year tribulation period. All of these signs point and lead up to his return. However, they also wanted to know when will these things take place. But it's not until verse 32 that the Lord begins to address the question of when or the time of his return. And in doing so. 
Our Lord focuses on two major truths that he teaches the disciples about his appearance. Truth number one is the time of his return, he says, is near. Meaning this, it is, it is near in relation to the events of the tribulation. That is to say, the time of his return is near, meaning that his appearance will closely follow the signs that he just laid out for them the signs that will take place in the tribulation. As we saw last week, Jesus explained the timing of his return being near by using the analogy of a fig tree. Verses 32 and 33. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he's near right at the door. Now, I emphasized last week that this is a simple parable. Don't read any more into it than what is obviously here. The simplicity of this parable is simply this. It says that just as a fig tree with tender branches and new leaves indicate that summer is right around the corner. So the occurring, Jesus said, of these signs during the tribulation will also indicate that my coming is right around the corner as well. And to emphasize just how close his coming will be in relation to these signs, notice what Jesus said in verse 34. Truly I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The generation that will be alive during the tribulation, the generation that sees those signs, he said, will not pass away, will not die off until all these things come to pass. Now, it's important to understand that Christ's words were intended to be a very precious promise for his people to hold on to as they awaited his return. That's the point of this. He wanted his followers, especially those Christians who will be living during the horrific days of the tribulation, to realize that there will be an end to all the awful things that they will have to endure. All the trouble, all the persecution, all the, the, the catastrophes that they'll experience during those years, all the anguish of the tribulation will someday come to an end it won't continue indefinitely. He's coming back. That's the point. In other words, he wants them to know that, that he's coming back, and he's coming back soon after the signs take place, so soon, in fact, that that generation won't even have time to pass away and die off. Now, as we noted last week, there'll be many individuals from that generation that will die because Christians will be martyred for their faith. But what the Lord is saying is not all of them. Not all those individuals of that generation will die because some of their generation will live to see him coming in the clouds with great glory and great power. And just to encourage them as they wait for him to return, the Lord affirms that his words can be counted on no matter what. Verse 35, heaven and earth, he says, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What the Lord is saying is that his word will never fail because they're true, especially his words about his return. That's what he's talking about here. In fact, he said his words are more stable, more secure than the very ground we walk on, because someday the scripture tells us that the present heavens and earth will pass away. But his words will never pass away. His return has been eternally and sovereignly decreed 
And it will take place just exactly as he said it would take place. And so, in answer to the disciples' question, when will the end of this age and your appearance take place? The Lord has very clearly stated that the time of his return is near in the sense that it will closely follow the occurrence of the signs during the tribulation. But that isn't all that the Lord said concerning when he would appear. He proceeded to teach them and us by way of application and understanding proceeded to teach them a second important truth about the time of his return, which is the time of his return has not been revealed to anyone. That's our study this morning. The time of his return has not been revealed to anyone. We read in verse 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. Now, according to Jesus, even though Christians alive during the tribulation period will be able to know by the signs that they will see unfolding before him, they'll know that his, his coming is close. They will not be able to know the precise day and hour that he'll arrive. In other words, the tribulation signs will only point to the general nearness of the second coming, but the exact precise moment has not been revealed to anyone. In fact, Jesus tells us here that not only hasn't the specific date of his return been revealed to any person on earth, but God the Father, he says, hasn't revealed that information to the angels in heaven or even to him. He's stating that he doesn't even know the precise moment that he's coming back. Now, as we noted, this statement by Jesus, in fact, the entire verse has puzzled and perplexed many Christians for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, I think, is obvious. It's obvious that we need to do some thinking here and try to understand what Jesus meant, because Jesus said by his admission that at the time he uttered these words concerning the hour and the day he was returning, he admitted he didn't know when he was coming back, and that troubles many Christians. And the reason it troubles them is because the Bible very emphatically declares that Jesus Christ is God. So how could he not know something? Now let's just think about this for a moment. The Bible declares emphatically, very clearly, and over and over again, it is one of the foundational, essential truths of the gospel. Without this truth, we have no gospel. It declares that Jesus Christ is full deity. Jesus himself said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. John 14, 9. He also said, I and the Father are one. John chapter 10. His enemies understood what he meant. They picked up stones. They wanted to kill him because they understood exactly what he meant. He was declaring equality with God the Father. The New Testament writers consistently declare that Jesus is God. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, John said, became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man. One of my favorite verses concerning the deity of Christ is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, because in that verse, the inspired writer tells us that God the Father addresses the Son and calls Him God. The verse says this, but to the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever 
and ever. I don't know how much clearer you can make it. God the Father, speaking to Christ, calls him God. And Paul said to the Colossians, Colossians 1.16, By him all things were created. When you read in Genesis 1 that God created, that's Christ. That's Christ. Paul also told the Colossians in 1.19, All the fullness of deity dwells in him. The Apostle John referred to Jesus Christ after speaking of Jesus Christ. He says in 1 John 5.20, And this is the true God. This is the true God. Jude referred to Jesus as our only master and Lord. That word master means sovereign. Sovereign. Our only sovereign. He's saying he's God and he's Lord. Therefore, you understand where we're going with this. What has perplexed many believers over the years about Matthew 24, 36, is how can Jesus be God and yet say he doesn't know when he's returning when one of the attributes of God is omniscience, meaning that he knows everything. He's all-knowing. Omniscience. Well, listen very closely because the simple yet profound answer to this puzzlement is that in addition to being God, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is also a man. And while he ministered on earth as the God-man, watch this, this is important, Christ voluntarily restricted the use of certain divine attributes. That is to say that in the days of his earthly humanity, he purposefully did not use all of his divine attributes like omniscience, unless he was directed by the Father to use them. This is precisely what the Apostle Paul taught in Philippians chapter 2. Let's, let's turn there. Philippians chapter 2. Now, this is, this is, to some degree, it is mysterious. We don't fully understand it, but we know what Paul is teaching. It's profound, and it's important for us to realize what this is about. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is actually teaching the Philippians to be humble. And he uses the greatest example of humility in all the world, and that is Christ himself, who humbled himself in becoming a man. But in the process of teaching us about humility, Paul speaks about Christ emptying himself. We call it the kenosis passage. He emptied himself. Starting at verse 5, we read this. Have this attitude or this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude. Who, although he existed in the form of God, which is another way of saying he is God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, meaning a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Now, what Paul is saying here is that although Jesus Christ has always existed in the form of God, because he is the eternal God, just like God the Father and God the Spirit, he is a member of the triune Godhead. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God, three persons who make up the Godhead. Jesus Christ, we're told, though fully God, did not regard equality with God the Father as something to be grasped or something to be held on to during his life on earth. And so, Paul teaches, in becoming a man, 
Christ did not stop being God. Therefore, he did not lose or give up any divine attributes. He was just as much God before the incarnation as he was after the incarnation, after he became a man. He never stopped being deity. However, here's the point you want to grasp because it helps to explain why Jesus said that he didn't know the hour and the day that he was returning to the earth. In becoming a man, Paul teaches, the Lord voluntarily laid aside the use of some of his attributes, such as omniscience. And in the case of omniscience, the only time he would use that attribute was if the Father directed him to use it. That's why Jesus said in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. What are you talking about? But you're God. But in becoming a man on earth, I can do nothing. Nothing on my own initiative. He was totally submissive to God the Father. In John 6.38, the Lord said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So though deity, in becoming a man, he submitted to God the Father. Now there were times when Jesus did demonstrate his ability to know certain information that was impossible to know, apart from either the use of his own divine omniscience, or the Father revealing that information to him. For example, there was the time, we're told in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jewish people, came to Jesus by night. And he starts complimenting him, and he said something to the effect of, Jesus, we know that you're, you are from God, because no rabbi could speak like this if he's not from God. Jesus just interrupts him and says, you must be born again. You can't see the kingdom of heaven you're born again. Why did he say that? Nicodemus didn't even get to his point because Jesus knew that's why Nicodemus came to him. He knew he was struggling, though a ruler of the Jewish people and a teacher, he knew that what was on Nicodemus's heart was that he didn't know whether he was going to die. When he died, he was going to go to heaven. He didn't know if he was righteous enough. And Jesus just cuts to the chase and answers the question before he even asks it because he knew. Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Don't you understand what Ezekiel was talking about concerning regeneration? You're a ruler of the Jews and you don't know this. I mean, the point is, the Lord knew what was on his heart before Nicodemus revealed what was on his heart. Either the Lord used divine omniscience there because the Father said you can use it in that case, or else the Father revealed it to him. Then there was the time that he met the Samaritan woman at the well. And he told her that he knew all about her. All about her past history with men. He knew that she had had several husbands and that the man she was presently living with was not her husband. How did he know that? Divine omniscience that the father said you can use in this case or else he revealed it to him. He had never met this woman before. Then there was the time that the Lord told Nathaniel, who became one of his disciples, that he knew what he was like and what he had been doing even before they met. He said, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel said, you are the Messiah. You're, you are the king of Israel. He also had said to Nathaniel, who, who had just previously said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus said, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. In other words, Nathaniel, I know what you're like. You're a straight, you're a straight shooter. You hold back no punches. You say whatever is on your mind. You just put down my city. I know what you're like. And Nathaniel understood. Jesus knew all about him. 
So as we put all these verses and truths together, we come to this conclusion in the days of our Lord's earthly ministry as man. He purposefully and voluntarily restricted his divine knowledge, the use of his divine knowledge, so that he knew certain things only when the father allowed him to use his omniscience or when the father revealed these things to him. And since the father never revealed to him the specific time of his return to earth and did not permit him to use his omniscience to know the day and hour that he was coming back, then Jesus was quite accurate and quite it was quite appropriate for him to say, and it was not a theological problem for him to say that he did not know that information. Now, you might wonder, well, does he know that now? And my response is, of course. Of course he knows it now. Because the days of his earthly ministry are over. There is no reason now for him to voluntarily restrict any of the use of his attributes. In fact, the book of Revelation presents Christ as the glorified, all-powerful, and sovereign Lord of the universe without any limitations. It's also interesting to note that after the resurrection, the Lord, just before he ascends to go back to heaven, meets with his disciples in Jerusalem, and they ask a question about when he's coming back. And he tells them, you don't know, you don't need to know, just witness for me. But he does not include himself in not knowing. Let me show you this, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, very interesting. They're meeting in Jerusalem, Acts 1, starting... At verse 6, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? They still want to know when. They still tell us when. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, what he means by this is, don't worry about when I'm coming back. You don't need to know. It's not revealed to you. You just witness. You just be about fulfilling the Great Commission. Don't be concerned about when I'm coming back. Just be obedient until I return. It is human nature to want to know the future. It is also human nature to allow ourselves to get distracted from our main responsibility of sharing the gospel. If we keep our eyes focused on Christ and His Word, seeking His guidance each day, then we will be doing His will here on earth until He takes us home. Thanks for being in our class today. You can listen again to this and any other studies from Matthew 24 by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org, and download or stream the message. There are many other subjects and classes that can be yours free of charge. Our hope and prayer for this ministry is that you will be helped in your daily walk with Christ. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported radio outreach. We depend on the Lord's people to pray for and financially give to the ministry. You can give online by going to versebyverseradio.org and click on the Donate button. While there, you can sign up for our free podcasting service and the free monthly newsletter. You may also donate through the mail. Write to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida. 
1-800-273-3758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You can call us at 727-239-0306 if you have any questions. That's 727-239-0306. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden, inviting you back again next time for Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. One of the signs of a good leader is a leader that doesn't ask people to do something that they themselves aren't willing to do. As Christians, we talk a lot about how God goes before us, and we use that phrase. But here in Exodus 13, God really does go before the Israelites by day as a cloud, by night a pillar of fire, leading their way and guiding them as they make their way to freedom. 